This week's episode with my guest Levi Roots was recorded in the most incredible venue in Bristol in front of a live audience who enraptured with his charisma and story. Born in Jamaica, he came to the country at the age of 11, not being able to read or write, leaving his beloved grandmother behind to start a new life on a path that just wasn't easy. Growing up in Brixton in the 70s, Levi struggled in life, ending up in prison a couple of times, only to turn his life around through his sheer determination and returning to his two true passions in life, music and food, and combining them into a business. His unforgettable appearance on Dragon's Den set his life on a new trajectory, gaining investment and mentorship from none other than Peter Jones. Since then, his life has been a whirlwind of success, expanding his range to include cooking sauces, ready meals, six cookbooks, a new album, and most recently, Levi realised his ultimate dream of opening his Caribbean restaurant in Westfield, Stratford. He's the ultimate role model of someone who can turn their life around through following their purpose and passion with huge hard work and determination. He's someone I greatly admire and can't wait to share his story. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table, and since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. This is a huge honour and such a joy. It's our second podcast live here in Bristol. One of my greatest passions is to support the underdog, the everyday entrepreneurs, those small businesses with huge dreams. Tonight will be a special evening and I know this podcast will inspire so many people. So thank you, dear Levi, for actually being here. I'd um, love to start with telling your incredible life story, going back to the very beginning of your journey. You were born in Jamaica in the late 50s, at a time where many people in the Caribbean were tempted to the UK with this promise of streets lined with gold. And so your parents left to come to Britain in search of a better life for you and your family, but you were just four years old and so stayed in Jamaica being raised by your grandmother. What was this time of your life like? I've heard you say your grandmother fueled your passion for cooking. Yes, she did. I've got to say that you you mentioned that, you know, people from the Caribbean in those days were being asked to come to the UK um, because the streets were paved with gold. And my parents, they heard the same stories when they were in Jamaica to, to come because the streets were paved with gold. And so they took a plane ticket like everyone in the Caribbean. And when they got here, they realized that that gold was actually dog shit. <laughs> 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 and it was that they had to clean up. 
And, and, and my parents, being a bit of an entrepreneur themselves, did a pretty good job of doing that. Um, it was, this is a time after the war when the country was in a, a pretty bad state and, and everyone from the Caribbean or from the islands that the Queen was the head of state um, in the Caribbean was being asked to come over here to sort of to fix the country. Hence that term that we now, which big news, that Windrush generation, which my parents was, was, part of, was part of that. And really it was just to come to fix the country, but it was that, it was that foolish statement that they'd made that the streets were paved with gold and would actually, Caribbean people was even more foolish because they actually believed that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 it was a, a fantastic time for people in the Caribbean to start a new life and to, to come to the UK and to send for the children for education. I've interviewed a few people for this podcast whose parents have emigrated in search of this better life. And when we're talking about it, you've realised that it's actually the most entrepreneurial act that you can do. Risk everything to create a better Absolutely. life. The definition of an entrepreneur is someone who takes risk in the hope of profit. And that's exactly what your parents did. And within a year, they bought a house. Is this where you think your work ethic and entrepreneurial spirit came from? Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you are so right. You know, I, I've always seen my parents as my first inspirator, that the first entrepreneurial movement that I ever understood was uh, about business and doing something fantastic yeah. was yeah. my parents leaving Jamaica. But, but of course, at the time, I didn't really understand what was that going on then because I was, I was quite young at the time. So, um, you know, I didn't really have much connection with mom and dad at the age of four. Um, them being so busy and, and so when they left all I cared about was just my grandma you know and um, all of us slept in one massive bed in, in my grandmother's house uh, you know seven of us in one bed and, um, and being the youngest I always get shafted at the end of it and then it ended up <laughs> on the floor in the morning but one good thing about the, the whole thing about the entrepreneur move by my parents is that every year they would get the money together after buying the house first in that first year, which is absolutely fantastic. I mean, amazing. And, and then started to send for the kids one at a time. And, and for me, it was just like every year, I, I would look around and I would see a suitcase would arrive and I would see my grandmother crying over there. And I knew what was happening then. I knew that one of my brothers and sisters was leaving, but I didn't care. I just thought that I got more room in the fucking bed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Until finally, when my, when my last, my last brother left, and, and, and me being the youngest now with my grandma, and I was just thinking that, you know, this is the most absolutely fantastic thing. Now everyone's gone, and I've, I've got this beloved woman to myself, and she's teaching me how to cook, and she's giving me the, the sauce recipes. She didn't give it to my brothers and sisters. <laughs> and I just looked around one day, and I saw a suitcase over there, and I saw my grandmother crying. And I looked around and I knew I didn't have a brother and sisters left to, you know, to take the suitcase and, and the reasons why she was crying. And I understood now it was my turn. And, and in all the hoo-ha I've seen my brothers and sisters leave, I just didn't understand that one day that suitcase is going to be mine and I'm going to have to leave this beloved woman and fly on this airplane to meet my parents who I didn't have any connection with and my brothers and sisters. So it was really, for me as a kid then, it was the most difficult thing that ever happened to me is knowing that I had to be sort of yeah. pulled away from this And this woman. was the age of 11 that you came yes. to the UK. You were finally sent for by your parents, leaving your beloved grandmother, as you said, and starting school here without the ability to re 
read or write. Can you remember what this time of your life was like and how did you actually adapt? Well, it, it, was, it was terrible. It actually was, you know, one of the most scariest memories, you know, for myself. Um, both for the, the fact that I, I couldn't spell my first name, which only had five letters in it, and I was 12 <laughs> at the time. And it was really, it was a terrible. And then having to discover the things that you discover as a young kid coming to a new country. Because it was the time of the 70s, and, and in, in those days it was the time of the skinheads and all that kind of stuff going on. And, and I had to learn fast that the skinheads were split into two different factions, you know, because you had, you had the, the, fas the fascist skinhead that was chasing me away from school and was running us down and trying to beat us up and everything. And on the other hand, we had the, we had the fashion skinheads that was loving us, and was loving <laughs> in the Caribbean music and music. You need to make sure music. you pick the right person. You pick the huh? right person. Yeah. So it really was running the gauntlet coming on from school. But being in, in school itself and, and unable to, to sort of be up there with the rest of my schoolmates was, was one of the most embarrassing things for me. So I really wanted to learn. And I think my mom spotted that, that I was trying to be too cool when I was in school. I was trying to be the cool kid from the countryside that could open a bottle quicker than everybody else, that could climb a tree faster and do all the cool things that you could as a kid. Yeah. But my focus was, because I was doing that, my focus for the curriculum was just completely be, being charted. So my mom picked it up and then she, she decided to teach me how to read and write. And going back to that entrepreneurial spirit, I think we're often told it's part of your DNA or some magical gene that you're born with, yeah. when in fact I'm learning part of this is definitely actually being a survivalist. You know, Jo Malone said this when I interviewed her for this podcast, that she was simply surviving and using business as a tool. I read that you were selling biscuits at school and making a profit at an early age. <laughs> yes, because that was the only thing that I, I, I could really do is to use these skills as a country boy. And, and yep. I, I I realized that I'd been given disability that my, my father had. I mean, I had a terrible time with my father, but when I speak to my mom now about my entrepreneurial self and, and, and where does this come from, she tells me that's how my, my, my father was, right. you know, and he was very much like that. And so my first thing in school was, I, you know, pocket money was very tight at the time and I, I would get a very small amount of pocket money and I would buy a couple of packets of biscuits for that and I would sell them back. I'd wait until like it's lunchtime when everybody's <laughs> is really hungry and they're willing to spend, you know, their pennies on biscuits. So I would come home to my mom every evening and, you know, and be emptying out my pockets of cash that I made at school. So it started from a very early age. But you grew up in Brixton um, at quite a turbulent time, as you said, in the 1970s. Yes. And Brixton being a very different place to what it is now, you found yourself in trouble, ending up in detention centre and then prison. And I can't begin to imagine the circumstances you grew up in, living in probably this lack of direction or inspiration that you had at the time. But could you share this experience at the time? What led you to ending up there? And did that changing point where you decided that you wanted to turn your life around? Well, I think mentors and inspirators are the key things to help children, especially from my background where I, where I came from. There are many people that used to come to Brixton in those days, but none of them looked like me. None of them expressed or spoke like me. 
And I suppose when the riots was happening in Brixton in, in the early days, that's what was needed. I needed somebody to come round to Brixton that I could understand that looked like me and spoke my language and to say, you know, young Levi, you can do better. This is what you ought to do. But no one ever came round. The people that came round were very old and they were white. And, and most people that lived in Brixton in those areas, like myself, that was the problem, was young and they were black. So for me, finding an inspiration to help me is very difficult. And I've always said that I don't believe that Peter Jones turned me into an entrepreneur overnight by investing in, in me in Dragon's Den many years later. I was always an entrepreneur, but you always need somebody to find the yes. best of you. Yes. You know, it's in there somewhere. To find you know? your diamond. Absolutely. I, I don't feel that there's, there's no such thing as failure, and I totally believe that. I believe that there is somebody out there that will find the true you. And, and for me, I've always said that, you know, I was being Keith for a very long time, as you, you guys know in Dragon's Den, that is my real name. But, but I think it, when, I, when I found my first mentor, she was the one that actually pulled out the, the Levi roots from the Keith. And Keith was the guy that couldn't focus, that was being abused by my father. But my, my first inspirator was the one that actually found the true Levi roots on the inside. And so whilst you were in prison aged 18, that's when you became a Rastafarian and you changed your name yes. from Keith to yes. Levi Roots. Returning almost to your core identity, this must have felt like a very life-changing moment for you. Could you tell me about this moment, changing your name and what it stood for? Well, it's about finding yourself, isn't it? It's, it's finding about who you are. Your name says who you are. And I remember in school, I vividly remember it. You know, I was 15 at the time, and it was the time of, in America, they had this um, social moving that Martin Luther King and the church and everything. And if you were black and you were a black kid, you found out who you are because that was the movement. But here in the UK, there was no such thing. And we didn't have Black History Month. You were in school. You were never taught yeah. about that you were African and you never had Black History lessons and all that. So I struggled. And I, I remember once looking up my name, Keith Valentine Graham. And I saw that it was a Scottish name. And I kept looking in the mirror and thinking, I don't look fucking Scottish. <laughs> Where did the name come from? You know, how, how did I end up being Keith Valentine Graham? And, and it was about the same time that Bob Marley's music started to come, to, to come through from Jamaica. And of course, as a young black kid then, you know, we were all excited about this Rasta man that had this long dreadlocks and he was reportedly smoking a pound of ganja a day. And it, it, was, it was all of the fantastic thing that make young people at the time, your hairs prick up and you yeah. start to listen. Yeah. And I started to listen to Bob Marley's music and it was through his music that I realized that I'm not Scottish after all, that, you know, <laughs> I, that, that, that I I am African by, you know, originality and then Jamaica by my, Jamaican by my journey. And so I wanted to change my name and, and to find who I really am. And, and through the, the Rastafari culture, I, I found that if you're born in the month of June, then you're a Levite, as according to the Bible, Leviticus in the Bible. As you know, Rastas follow the Bible very, very religiously. It's a bit, a, a bit of the Jewish religion as well, the Rastafarian culture. So in the month of June is the 
month is the month of Levi, so I, I chose the name Levi so I can identify with yeah. my culture, who I was yeah. at the time. And I just wanted to say, get Keith out of there. You know, what's he doing, <laughs> what's he doing inside of me? And I think that was the finding, finding of the true yeah. me, who yeah. I am. I felt very comfortable in my skin. skin and yeah. I, I, I know I knew who, what yeah. my purpose was. And if you, in terms of business, if you think about it, you rebranded yourself. You went back to your roots, what your values represent. Absolutely. What your identity stood for. You created this new identity, an identity which felt more like you, one that is now actually very valuable, but is completely authentic. Would you say it's quite an important stage of being an entrepreneur, figuring out your core identity, especially if you are your brand? You know, your brand is the most important thing. You know, I say that to people all the time, it's not about the product. You know, the products come after, you know. It, right. it is about the branding, and especially if the brand bears your name. You know, yeah. I think you have a responsibility to, um, to be authentic to, yeah. towards who you are. And I wanted the, the, the source, my grandmother's source, to be about myself. I, I didn't want to sell what was in the bottle. I wanted to sell the person that was selling the sauce. And for me, it was just to create in that persona. And I wanted the bottle to look like who I am also, because I am a Rastaman, I am a Jamaican. But I I remember when I first did my first label, and it it looked like as it does now. It's got the colors of Rastafari, which is green, gold, and red. And it had a Rastaman on there, and it's called Reggae Reggae Sauce. And most of the people in my community were saying, Levi, don't call it that you know they were saying that it's too black it's too jamaican and it's too rasta but i thought hang a minute that's bloody me (laughs) i'm black and jamaican i'm a rasta and i really wanted this to be about me and i and i kept that and but i decided maybe i shouldn't sell ice to the eskimos so i i didn't want to sell reggae reggae sauce to my local people in brixton and in hackney and where there was caribbean people that knew what caribbean food was about so we came up with a, a really good plan with my with my kids we decided to we had a map in our of the UK in our front room and we, we threw a dart at anywhere that had Shire at the end of it because <laughs> <laughs> we know no Rastaman don't live in them places called right. so, <laughs> so th- this is your market research yeah this is my market this was, you know, do you know how much people pay for this sort of data that they would do that but you threw a dart at and the wall yeah. And, and it had Shire on Shire, it, and yeah, that's the yeah, place we're going to launch. That's the place. Anyway, right. there was Shire. Brilliant. We, we would end up with the sauce and, and with my guitar, and we'll be in the Shires, and it would be like real quiet, you know, as, as you guys normally are. And, you know, I'd be there with the guitar. I'm like, it's so nice, I had to name it twice. I call it reggae, reggae sauce. I was like, shut the fuck up over there, we're trying to say... Oh my goodness. Along this journey, music and cooking have been your greatest passions and extraordinarily you've created a business which complements and combines both. I also advise anyone who's struggling with a business idea to write out that passion list, to focus that into a business idea and it's incredible when you can combine more of one one or two things like you have. You went on to create your infamous reggae reggae sauce, which the famous tagline from your song put some music in your food. Can you tell the story of the sauce as you started making it with your children at the kitchen table, where basically all best businesses start from, I'm working out? Yes, yeah, absolutely. It was a moment of 
When I look back at it now, it really was a magic moment for us. We had no idea what was happening you know, to us or where we could take this. We were doing a lot of guesswork just by going along with inspiration. We'd found a niche market within the Shires, and, and I knew that when I turned <laughs> up there, you know, it, was, it was fantastic, but we didn't really understand the, the, the phonics of what business was about. And it wasn't until when, after when I got the, the investment that the whole thing sort of turned on its full head and I now realize um, how much people were buying the brand of Levi Roots yes. and not just the sauce. Because by the time I'd got onto Dragon's Den, I think we'd done a pretty good job in the Shires and the sauce <laughs> was pretty well known back, back then. And it was these customers that I think, you know, actually went out and bought yes. the products at first yeah. because I'd built that base by actually going out and do my market research. <laughs> yeah, we know what market research is now, by the way. What I was um, astounded to discover when researching you for this podcast is that when you were working away, making your secret sauce in the kitchen for over 16 years, right, before it hit the big time, yes. we're constantly told that business is this overnight success, but we're never told the sheer hard work and years and slog that goes into making it a success. But whilst at a world food show, you were approached by this BBC producer who asked if you'd like to pitch your Caribbean sauce on Dragon's Den. And this was 2007. And I think we'd love the honour of hearing this story because I recently read that you haven't even watched the show never. before pitching on it. So he had never seen Dragon's Den before walking up those stairs. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. You know, I, I, I was at this one of these places in the Shires <laughs> and um, I had the guitar and, and I was singing the song and, and the crowd was there as normally. And afterwards, there's a lady she came over and she says, Levi, absolutely fantastic. And she says, we, we love the way that, you know, the song and we love the sauce and everything. And she said that she's from a program called Dragon's Den. Well, the way she said it, she was expecting me like to be like whooping and hollering and said, <laughs> you know, when you wait for your bus, yeah. you stand at the bus stop for many years and you're waiting and then yeah. finally your bus arrives and you don't even bloody see it, <laughs> you know. And she said to me, Levi's Dragon's Den and you can be on it and everything and I'd never seen Dragon's Den I didn't know what it was I never heard of it so I was saying to this lady excuse me I'm just not interested in this bloody Dragon's <laughs> Den whatever because I, I I'm knew selling my sauce I'm to selling the my sauce. but the thing is that in those days the only television program that I used to watch that was a, a similar program was I'm a celebrity get me out of here and I thought that's what she was talking about <laughs> <laughs> so the reasons why I was telling her that I'm not interested because I just couldn't see a Rasta man, you know, going on to, I'm a celebrity and eating kangaroo testicles and things like that. So I was just saying to her, I'm not interested in this thing because normally when a black guy goes on these shows, you don't actually win. You, you know, you, you, you make a nice joke and everybody likes you, but you're not going to be the winner. And I just thought, I'm just not interested, you know. And, and she persevered, you know. I think this was her moment as well. She came yeah. back three times and she says, Levi, here's my business card. Hard. If somebody does tell you about Dragon's Den or whatever it is, then please give me a call. We'd love to have you on. Oh. And the key thing is, guys, never refuse a business card, no matter what, <laughs> what you think. I took the business card and I went home and it was my kids again. Normally when I go home and I empty up my pockets of these business cards that folds out, you know, when you, when you do your networking. And my daughter, Charlene, she, she saw the blue BBC card with the lady's name on it. And she was jumping up and along with my other kids and they were like, Dad, it's Dragon's Den, it's Dragon's Den. Where'd you get this from? I'm like, what the bloody hell is this Dragon's Den, guys? 
And of course, they explained to me, but then, the, you know, the magic words from my kids came in, and they said, Dad, whatever you do, no wrestler man from Brixton with no three-foot-long dreadlocks is not going to be no winner in Dragon's Den. So don't do it. Don't embarrass us. Them, don't embarrass them by going and singing the, 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 the song on, on a, a show about business and enterprise. So they didn't think it was, it was a good idea, my kids. But you have to have the brand and the spark that you did. Yeah. I spoke to my first investor of Not On The High Street for this podcast, and he said that you invest in the person and not the business. But that person has to have that spark, and you certainly did. And that's why Peter Jones was clever to invest. And I actually rewatched that episode the other day and my gosh you were brilliant when you came up those stairs singing I think you captured the nation I know everyone here remembers it I know you say you got your numbers wrong but I often say to small I businesses did. <laughs> you did that was terrible but, yeah <laughs> but that I say to small businesses that doesn't matter that's something that you can learn or get from an accountant your persona, your brand, your story is what makes you unique and Peter invested in you. What advice would you give to anyone listening um, who wants to create a unique brand? Wow. I mean, everyone will give you a different, a different way of doing it, guys. But for me, it is about being the best of you because the investment is going to come because of you. I mean, even if you have a product and it, you are not the brand, it is about the person who is selling the product. If I go in a shop and I'm deciding to buy something and even though the people who own the business are, are not there and it's just the teller in front of me, is not serving me in the right way, I'm not going to buy. Because for that moment, that person represents everything to do with the brand. Mm -hmm. So it is about people and about who you are. I remember when I came up the stairs, I don't think anybody had ever sang on Dragon's Den before. No, they hadn't. And, and this was a complete new moment for them. I, I remember coming up and, and looking at and even though I'd never seen them before, but I knew now that I was going to do something different than what everybody else had done. And, and while I, got, I was going through the song, I've been on stage nearly all my years, and I knew that if you're not singing to the public and it's not, they're not enjoying it, then you, know, then you better get off the stage. So when I got through my first verse, I, I took a look up at the dragons to see if, what the song was doing to them, because nobody had ever sang. I didn't know what was happening. They're going to chase me off the stage. So I just had a look. So I got through the first verse, and I, I popped my head up from my guitar and just looking to see what was happening. And I saw Richard Farley, which was the, the nice, short Australian guy that sat on the left in, in the times when I was on. I looked up to see what he was doing, and I saw him doing what I call a little white man's jig he was like <laughs> oh, for anyone listening on this podcast was... Levi just did a really awkward <laughs> uncle's dance at a wedding type move there he was tapping on his desk because he was just enjoying the fact that something else was happening in the den so much and, and, and like most people on the stage when you see the audience having a great time you know you're doing right so it got me into the second verse of the song and everything was just going swimmingly nice you know for the dragons then but it was the bit afterwards when it got to Theopathetis and I didn't know who Theo was at the time you know he, and now I know that he asked some really weird questions and, 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 he, and I'd made a promise before 
before I go on to Dragon's Den, I'm not going to mention my real name because I thought the name Levi Rootson with the music and the sauce was, was fantastic. And it was the moment when I just, the first time when the sweat started coming down. And if you saw the BBC cameras, they zoomed in on the sweat. <laughs> it's because Theo said the immortal words. He said, Levi Roots. What a wonderful name. Is that your real name? And it was then, ladies and gentlemen, I had to make up my mind whether I'm going to admit on television that my name is bloody Keith. (laughs) 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 So be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. Our mission at Holly & Co is to support creative small businesses through sharing useful, tangible, soulful content all year round. Whether you have your own business already or you're thinking of taking that leap of faith and pursuing your lifelong business dream, I'm here to support you. I know what you're thinking. How can I keep up to date with all this inspiration, Holly? Well, it's simple. Just head over to Instagram and follow at Holly Tucker and at holly.co so you don't miss a thing. By following these accounts, you'll be the first in line to receive all of my exciting podcast updates, hear my personal thoughts as I share the lessons I've learned the hard way and absorb this colourful, amazing, creative community that I shine a light on every single day. And let's not forget, you'll be notified each time I'm hosting an IGTV live, often with special guests, industry experts or hosting a Q&A with the small business community answering those business questions you just can't Google. So what are you waiting for? Get following. I can't wait for you to join me. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. Order was with Sainsbury's for yes. a quarter of a million, million. bottles. Yes, what absolutely. was that moment like when you yeah. saw your sauce there for the first time and you outsold Heinz yes. tomato ketchup? Hey. Right? Hey. Well, it's a pretty big moment there. <laughs> well, well we, your mentor is supposed to do a few things. That's why a mentor for me, I'll you know, I'll talk, mm. they, I'll talk at mentors until the cows come home. I love them. Because they're supposed to make a few calls or do something for you. And of course, when Peter invested in me, he had to make a few calls. Yeah. And one of his first calls was to Justin King, chief of Sainsbury's, you know, and to tell his posh friend, Justin, did, <laughs> did you see Dragon's Den last night? Levi was on there. And of course, Justin said, yeah, he watched it with his son. And he said, you know... Peter, would you bring Levi around to see me? So, of course, I was just excited now because I'm making the sauce at home with my children, with my seven children. <laughs> and every time we made a batch of the sauce, we made 65 bottles <laughs> because of the size of the Dutch pot. You know, you know the Dutch pot. Past the Dutchie on the left hand side. That Dutchie. So we made 65 bottles. So Huff Peter and I went to, to see Justin King, chief of Sainsbury's. And uh, Peter's having a, a little chat with him in a room, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of floating around because I remember I just left the kids at, at home doing the sauce. 65 bottles, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, Peter said to Justin, oh, you know, Levi's going to be fantastic, and he's absolutely wonderful and everything. And, and Justin King says, oh, yes, Levi, we're going to make a nice little order for Sainsbury's to show that Sainsbury's does invest in, in new businesses. And while he's saying that, I'm just thinking to myself that, please, God, don't let him order anything over. 65 bottles. 
He says, Levi, this thought is absolutely wonderful. And I watched it with my son and everything on the television last night. And we might like to make a nice little order of 250,000 bottles. <laughs> I just thought, I'm going to have to go home and get the fucking whip out to the kids. And <laughs> <laughs> 250,000 bottles for your first order. Come on, guys. Wow. I mean, what an achievement. That just goes to show you, doesn't it, that with the right support, anyone can take on the big boys yeah. and that the underdog can take can on win. Heinz Ketchup Absolutely. and win. Absolutely. And it's so bloody inspiring. I do feel, though, you know, Dragon's Den needs a bit of maybe a refresh or there needs to be that new business program, possibly, where we support and encourage small businesses, future entrepreneurs, rather than maybe tear them down yes. or humiliate Absolutely. them. And if they get their numbers wrong, it doesn't matter, especially if you want to see more diverse entrepreneurs, all ages, all backgrounds, all nationalities, changing that stereotype of the classic entrepreneur in business, and it's definitely one of my missions. I've heard you speak about how you had very few role models as an entrepreneur to aspire to growing up, and you believe in this mentorship. What ways do you think that we can support future Levi's of the world? It's about education, I think, it really is. It's, it's, it's about getting to them in person. I remember many years ago, I, I remember when Lennox Lewis, the boxer, had, um, he had become world champion, and he told me that he had a million pounds to spend to build a building in North London for young people. And, and I looked at Lennox and, at the time, and I said, Lennox, it's better if you spend a few hours to go around the country to have a mm. chat in person to the kids to try and motivate them. But Lennox didn't really see where I was coming from at the time, but I remember just under a year after him spending a million pounds for this building, it actually went kaput. And, and just completely wasted away. So I think time is the most important thing, especially for people like myself who, who, who can inspire young people. The most valuable thing that we have is time, and that's what we don't want to give away. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm so lucky that I love to go around the country and talk to young people. That's one of my, my passions. The biggest thing in our diary is me going around to schools, colleges, wherever there is young people, to, to give that same message, that if Levi Roots can do it, then anyone can do it. But the most valuable thing to me is that time that I take yeah. out of my life to be able to do that. And that's why I said education to young people about entrepreneurship is the most important. It's not about sending a few hundred quid, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's about getting out there and, and showing them what the real inspiration is. And that's when you get real results. I mean, for me, if I, didn't, if I had someone like a Peter Jones that was giving me a call every few months or what have you, maybe it would have, it would have done okay. But to have him actually coming to see me or being able for me to see him when I want to ask yeah. those questions has been crucial for me. And without him, I don't think I'll be here now in disguise as, a, as an entrepreneur. And do you think it's important, like, one of the things I say to people is, you know, if you have children and you have a school and you run a business or you're an entrepreneur, take the time out and go and speak to them. Because, you know, our education system needs a serious uh, rebranding itself. You know, we are not building our children, as far as I can see, to be the future entrepreneurs, to go up against AI, to be as human as they can be. We're dealing with depression and everything that's going on in these young minds, and they've got more pressure than ever. So I totally believe in what you're saying. If you can spare that time, as you said, time is so precious, but 
if you can spare it and go out there and share your story or encourage business people that you know to share their story with the young, it is a, it's one of the things that we can do to help what I feel Absolutely. is a, a quite a weighted education system at the moment. Yeah, it, it is the apex of what we can do for young people. It's, it's to spend our time to get out there. I do a, a lot of prisons as well too. I, I try, because as you mentioned earlier, you know, that's where I, my change came around when I was at Her Majesty's Pleasure. And even though for me it was a very terrible time, but I still attribute those moments to where I had the time to be able to change. So I do go into a lot of prisons. I've been to nearly all the prisons around this country already over the past 12 years since I've been an entrepreneur. It was one, once a month at one stage. And I talk to these guys, and the most valuable thing for them is to see me actually coming in yes. and having a chat with them. It's not about sending a letter or sending a message or that something. they're worth like that. the time. They're worth the time for you to visit, and for them, that's a fulfillment. Well, your story is a stuff of legends, but life has not been easy for you. I spoke earlier um, tonight at the start of the event about how failure is the path to success. What is your take on failure, Levi? How has, how has it helped you and, and helped you be the man that you are today sitting in front of me? Well, I, I don't think there's a such thing as, as failure. I, I, I've taken that word out of my vocabulary. I, I don't use it really. I've, I've rebranded failure. I've rebranded it as feedback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, every time I've failed in my life, failed, you know, drastically, I can look back now and knowing that I'm not going to go back there again, you know, mm. and, and I can pick out what I've learned from that. So life is about trial and errors, both. Yes. Yes. It doesn't say life is just about trials. It's about trial and errors. So you've got to, you've got to take both. But the most important thing is to learn from those, those errors. Don't let them become something that's not valuable. There yeah. is valuable in your mistakes if you learn from them. So that's how I deal with it. I don't, I don't see anything. I mean, even in the early days when, you know, I, I was a very bad boy in Brixton and, and unable to focus I do think even those mistakes that I made back then, it shaped me for who I am. And I'll, I'll tell you one very funny story before you move on. I, I, a few years ago, the, the mayor from Brixton had called me out to give me the keys to Brixton, and I turned up in Electric Avenue, one of the most famous streets in Brixton. Um, and the crowd was there, and the mayor is there, you know, with this symbol of the keys to your local bloody community. And, and just before he handed me the keys, I don't know why I said it, guys. It's a, it's a little bit funny things to say, but there was a reason. And just before he handed me the, the keys, I, I looked up and I says, Your Excellency, do you know that I've actually burgled every house in Brixton? <laughs> <laughs> but the reasons why I said that, and the truth behind it, is that actually that did happen. But here I am now under a different guise that mm -hmm. everyone in my local community don't remember me as the bad boy that was running around as a, a 13, 14 year old kids and doing all this bad thing. They remember me now for being one of the biggest, most popular names that inspires young people in Brixton. So when I said that to the mayor, really what I was saying to him is about change. Yes. Is that you can change. 
You know, and no matter how much you think people are bad and there is, there is no chance for them to change, if you put the things in places for them to have that change, then they will change. And I'm lucky enough that there was a few things in place for me to change. One, that I had a fantastic mother, you know, that really worked hard to be able to inspire me and believe in everything that I did and helped me and helped me with that change. But it's about the other mistakes that I made in life that kind of taught me where I am, to be able to put that all in a bag now and the Levi roots that you see now, and the one that's got the keys to my local Brixton, it's not the same Levi roots that was running around in the 70s. This is a, a different person, and that's what mentorship and change can do yeah. for you. Gosh. And lastly, yes, exactly. Recently, I heard some very exciting news that they're actually making a film of your life. Uh huh. <laughs> You yes. must be incredibly yes. honoured. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that wonderful, guys? <laughs> what a moment in oh time. You know, someone calls you up and says, hey, Levi, Wake you are so cool. Me. We're going to make oh a film out God. of you. I, it, so how's that feeling? I mean, you just stood up and did your own little dance. It's oh. feeling pretty good. But, you know, this I is quite be, a moment. It's, it's absolutely, you know... As I says, you've you got to believe in what you do, you know, yeah. um, and believe in the people around you because you're only as good as the team that you have around me. And, and I'm so lucky that over the years I've, I've had a great team to help me to, to be where I am. And, you know, guys, to, to have a movie being made about your life, it's just what dreams are made of, you know. <laughs> I never, ever would have dreamed of going that direction to be thinking that you're good enough to inspire people in, in that kind of way. And when I was asked to do it, it was just an absolutely blown away moment. You know, again, and it was about the mistakes and the bad things that you've done that led you to where you are now, for you to be thought about in those ways. So, you know, for me, it is the most striking thing that could ever, you know, be said, and, <laughs> and um, that a multi-million pound movie has been made, and um, wow. I, I just can't wait to find out who's going to play me. <laughs> <laughs> it is a tall order. Anyone listening who would like to audition, uh, you can send your um, casting in now. Anyway, I end my interviews with an analogy that running your own sm small business is like being on the craziest roller coaster that you could ever imagine. What would you say has been one of your biggest lows whilst running a business? Oh. I'm lucky enough that, and, and this is totally be honest, we haven't made any mistakes in the business as yet. Bearing in mind what I did say before, that mistakes is, is feedback. It's been an absolutely wonderful journey so far that everything that we've put our hands on is, is literally turned, turned to gold. Because I have a fantastic team, I, I always equate myself to being a bit like the duck on the water. You know, going along, the duck nice and smooth on top, never moves. Fancy suits, looking great, going along. But, but underneath, flapping around and looking ugly and doing all the kind of... That is the team that's doing that. But you'd never get anywhere if, if you don't have the equilibrium together. And it is about the team and it's about who you are. So I attribute everything that's happened to me and everything is to happen to me in the future because of the team that I've got around me. 
because that's how you function. Mm-hmm. There's a great singer, old Jamaican old-time singer called Dennis Brown who sang a song called No Man Is An Island. And I really truly believe that. It is about the people that you put around yeah. you. So if you are going along and you've been trying your best and you've been failing and you wonder why you know, your moment doesn't come, then perhaps you need to change your team. Mm. Or get one. Or get one. Or get one. And conversely, a greatest high of your career, something that you still think about today? Um, there's, there's been loads. There's yeah. There's been, uh, but if you had to pick, I know we can't pick, because okay, it's like if, picking if I had favourite pick, child. Okay, I'll tell you, if you had the, to pick yeah. one. Well, it's one of the funniest moments that have happened to me. <laughs> I work a lot with the Prince's Trust over many 10 years, and I, I work with, uh, you know, with the Duke of Edinburgh, won't scream with Prince Philip and, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember going into, into the palace to do a, a Duke of Edinburgh award scheme for Prince Philip. And, and just feeling to myself so lucky that I'm now, you know, you know a few royals now know me by, <laughs> by name and that sort of stuff like that. It's, it's fantastic. But Prince Philip was always one that I, you know, always wanted to meet. And while I was doing the, 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 the Duke of Edinburgh award scheme, I was in the palace and, you know, he's coming down the lineage and, and the, 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 um, the usher is said to me, oh, Levi, stand here when his majesty comes round. I'll, I'll allow him to have a chat with you. So I'm like standing at the end of the, of, of the queue and Prince Philip is coming around. And you know people always say about Prince Philip, he, he likes to make untoward quip every now and yeah. again. <laughs> so I'm like standing there wondering, you know, what is this man is going to say to me when he comes, when he comes to the end of the line? So he's coming, down, he's coming down the way and the usher has come up to me and he says, oh, if I get ready because his majesty is coming, I'm going <laughs> to let him have a chat. And Prince Philip has wandered all the way slowly and he's coming and he's, he stood right in front of me. And for what seems like, you know, hours, ladies and gentlemen, but it's only a few seconds, he's standing there and I'm wondering and I can feel the sweats coming down me now. What is this man is going to say? And he looked up at me and he says, I thought you'd be fatter. (laughs) 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 When he said that, ladies and gentlemen, I just thought, yes, yeah, yeah, that's my man there. But I really wanted to say, well, your majesty, because I do Caribbean food, that's why I'm not fat. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just now, you know, for me, the reason why I said that is because, you know, I'm so lucky to be hanging around in places like this that I can try and motivate and inspire the kids. In yeah. places that I always thought that, you know, I don't belong and I would never get to these places. And it's a bottle of sauce that brought me there and to me be able to be telling stories like that. And it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Thank you so much, Levi, for sharing your story tonight. You You are the pride of Britain, the ultimate underdog, slaying dragons, dancing to the beat of your own guitar, bringing colour and spice to the world. And I know you'll inspire so many future generations of Levi's out there. And so thank you so, so much, Levi. But for now, I'm just going to hand over. You don't write, as you told me. Well, I did did persevere to put a few down. You persevered. But we end our podcast by asking our guests to maybe have a word with their yes. younger selves so yes. I hand it over to you Levi well thank, 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 you. thank you very much thank you at first when the idea of this came up you know I, I thought to myself I wouldn't want to really tell myself about the problems and the aches and pains and and everything that I actually went through as a boy particularly you know, at the hands of my father when I was growing up, and I didn't want to warn him about that. But, but I, I, I thought that there is something that I, that I could say, so I, I would continue like this. Dear Levi, I cannot contribute much to your future. Otherwise, I'd tell you to invest heavily in these brands in the future. 
Google, Amazon, and Apple. <laughs> but that's not allowed. <laughs> but that's not allowed. So my reliance is upon the teachers, scientists, and mentors of real skill who will be there to give you instructions for your future footsteps. Your life journey will be full of pain and disappointments. But these failures, you will have to treat as feedback to learn from. They will shape you for what is to come. Among my positions, I have nothing more valuable than my word. This is my only gift to you, to be honorable, that there is no place in this world for somebody who has lost their honor. Word is that wealth and health will be the evidence of success. And to command honor and respect, it is imperative you attain a level of prosperity. Money is not the root of all evil, as you will hear, but part of the building blocks in creating your legacy and keeping you happy with your responsibilities that is to come. So listen to these early instructions. Make them inspire you. Make them be a driving force. You don't really have long to achieve all you want. The real challenge will be trying to stay motivated. You won't feel it now, but life is really short. So do make your plans complete and be mindful of outside stimuli, which you might feel that you need, but actually you don't. Just stay focused on your own plans. But if you do come across those brands that I've been talking about, <laughs> make sure that you invest heavily. <laughs> With love from oh, Levi. <laughs> thank you, Levi. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to be a hard order to get another Levi on our podcast, but thank you so much for sharing with us such wisdom. If you enjoyed this episode with Levi Roots, founder of Reggae Reggae Source, I'd love to suggest listening to my conversation with Henry Dimbleby, co-founder of Leon. You can find any of my past episodes by searching Conversations of Inspiration wherever you get your podcasts. And if we've helped or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support really does mean the world to me. It helps spread the word and will inspire more people to build a life they love. And for all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. 